This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. Hi there. Welcome to Connecting Disability on AMI-audio. I'm Megan Gilmore, and I'm really glad to spend this time with you today. Our guest today is Ian Walker. Ian is an arts administrator, an author, and now a playwright from Dundas, Ontario. He wrote a memoir, Stirring My Soul to Sing, about his experiences with ADHD, and this summer, he turned it into a play. Ian joins me to talk about how disability can lead to creativity and why it's been so important for him to have mentors from different areas of his life. We also have a brief but honest conversation about what happens when disability and religion collide. I hope you enjoy this episode with Ian Walker. Hi, Ian. Welcome to the show. Hi, Megan. So nice to be here. So as much as I'm excited to have you, I'm going to begin this interview with a bit of an apology. I am too young to have a deep knowledge of new kids on the block. (laughs) I I know you have a familiar connection with the group. Um, if yes. you want to just explain that to to the audience, they are my third cousins. Jonathan and Jordan Knight are the of the new kids on the block are my third cousins. So I'm about ten years older than them, and they were the rave in the '80s, and it was pretty scary. About in 2015, I think or 16, to go you know see them come to Toronto, and oh my goodness, I mean that was the first time of seeing such adulation of their status and women throwing all kinds of items on the stage like bras underwear like you know and these were like 40 year old women i was like oh my goodness it was weird seeing you know your cousins who are fantastic they're great performers but just to see what their group produces (laughs) i've always been on the classical vocal side of life And music is a big, big part of your family. That's one of the reasons why we have you Mm -hmm. on today. So what were some of your early interactions with music? Why did you decide to go the classical route as opposed to the pop boy band route? You know what? Really, I should have gone the Broadway route because I think that's really where my voice was suited. But I was trained as a boy soprano. And so, you know, I sang a lot of the liturgy of the church that had wonderful boy soprano parts. And then when my voice changed, I did a whole lot of stuff. We did barbershop. I formed a barbershop group. When I was 18, I got involved with the Toronto Mendelssohn Youth Choir, and that really changed my life. It really opened a lot of incredible contacts with musicians from all over Canada and internationally. And then um, when I was 21, I got to go to Tanglewood to the summer home of the Boston Symphony Orchestra and was there for eight weeks. It was the most amazing musical experience of my life. I just still have dreams about it. So music, music, music all that time. And, you know, then I transitioned into becoming an arts administrator and have now spent 40 years in public relations, marketing, and fundraising in the arts. You mentioned you grew up singing liturgies and church. Like, was was church your first introduction to music? Like, how? Oh, definitely. And as well as my mother. My mother was a church soloist. 
she was very much in demand all the time. And so I really learned kind of at her hip. And she was a soprano soloist and she had great diction and just an incredible sense of musicianship and also rhythm. So later on, when I was studying or having problems with rhythm, she'd say, let's clap it out. And I would remember that. It was wonderful having a mother that was right there to be able to coach you. And then I also had my grandmother, who was an amazing music director of her church for 25 years. So you're right. I have an amazing legacy of music in my family. What was it that prompted you to make it a personal thing for you? And how perhaps did disability play into that uh, decision about music? I was a 1970s kid, you know, told I was hyperactive in those days because before ADHD really got a status. And I think because of my passion for music, I just trudged on. I was having to take some medication, some Ritalin at the time, and it just did not agree with me. My mother would have to fight for me to take that medication. And thank goodness I only had to take it for two years. We had this amazing family doctor, and he was doing different studies in medication about mental health issues or you know, of what would be ADHD. And he then came to the realization and he said, you know, Ian doesn't want to be on this medication. Let's see if we took him off the medication to see what happened. And he took me off the medication and I never went back. Because I was getting enough dopamine to deal with my issues. And and I was just as, as active as I could be. And to be clear, like this was under doctor supervision. It's not like your family was going rogue in the medical system. They're like, there was yeah, support exactly. to do that. Did music, in a sense, then help you deal with living with ADHD? Did it could you just like channel the energy into music? Oh, I think definitely. And I think what happened was, is we didn't know this until sort of after I did some personal study, was because I was practicing three to four times a week. I was doing what I wanted to do. I was happy. It was producing all of the positive stuff, like the dopamine, that so I didn't need to be medicated. And so I just followed that practice pretty well much for the rest of my life. And now you've written a book about it. You're turning it into a play. And by the time listeners are hearing this, you'll have done your first run of shows. Why write a book? So the book is called Stirring My Soul to Sing, Overcoming ADHD. And I really wrote the book for, you know, that artistic family member or friend who's in your circle that's struggling with ADHD. What I talk about is the struggles of ADHD in the younger years, the public school to high school years, you know, the bullying, the shaming all of that kind of stuff. But then as I grew up and got to go to university and then got into my career, it's a real positive book to really encourage people wherever they are at life. But if they and if they are dealing with disability, that there's hope that there's something at the end of the road for you to be able to, to keep walking. It was very difficult stuff I had to walk out. I also had to walk out of a very bad relationship, a marriage, divorce, and that just about tore me in half. But because of my faith and also my family, I was able to carry on. And then a couple of years down the road, I would meet the woman that I'm with now. We've been married for 23 years, been together 26, and life has been really wonderful with her. 
as she has a disability, Elaine has mm -hmm. cerebral palsy from birth. So in a sense, we're a disabled couple, if you want to call us that. Even that short synopsis, you've picked up on a lot of life experiences that for those who've been listening to this show for this whole season, we've had other people touch on some of those specific things. You did mention bullying. You grew mm -hmm. up in the 70s. There may be a perception of people that bullying is more of a more recent phenomenon exasperated through social media. Describe for people some of what it would have looked like and felt like in the 70s. So it was definitely fisticuffs. I mean, I had so many fights in public school just because I was different and also because I was held back. So I was put into a special education class. I was taller. You know, sadly, I was like a scarecrow. I was taller. I was older. And I had a passion for music and wanted to be a singer. So that opened all the doors to be bullied and to be called really terrible names that a lot of the time I had to go look up because I didn't know, I didn't understand what they meant. That was a very, very difficult time. I remember a lot of rejection and a lot of depression during that time. And actually, as a family, we decided that we were going to go into, my parents decided we would go into family counseling. And during those sessions, when I would talk, I had crayons in my hand. And I would make, I don't know, they would ask to draw pictures of, you know, what was going on. I'd draw myself and just take a black crayon and just go all over myself. So I was so hurt and so angry because what they did was they took me out of the classroom to move me into a special class out of the regular classroom. And thank God I had in the second year that I was in special ed, ed we had an amazing teacher who was former lieutenant colonel um, of the Canadian military. And when you went into his classroom, it was almost like you saluted every time for Mr. Schmidt. And we got into a discussion and it was about history and some other stuff. And his mouth was just wide open. I remember it. And he goes, how do you know all this? And I said, because it's my passion. It's one of the things I love to do. I read. And, and he goes, you don't belong here. You shouldn't be here. And he was my advocate. He went to the principal and said, I'm going to create a program here to get Ian out of the special ed. So I had history, geography, French, all of the other sort of subjects that you would have in grade six, grade seven. He was wonderful. He brought a lot of joy to our family when he came to say that I was going to get out of special ed and that I was the second person in his career that he had helped to do that. You mentioned family counseling there. Just briefly, if there's somebody listening to this show and let's say they're a parent or a family member and they have a child, they have a teenager with a disability, why would you suggest that families consider going to family counseling? I think what really helped was at the time we weren't communicating as a family. And I was certainly spiraling because of my ADHD and because of just so much rejection and depression on me. So when we went to have these sessions, we learned how to communicate. There were six of us in the family. I have, um, well, it goes like this, girl, boy, girl, boy. So I'm the oldest male so in the family, you know. And so we weren't communicating as I think a lot of it was stemmed from me. My parents were having a difficult time dealing with my ADHD, dealing with my mood swings, dealing with discipline issues. 
And so when we got into counseling and then just really sort of dissected a lot of issues, all of a sudden, the six of us came together as a really strong unit. And I am very grateful that we had that counseling. I think it was like six to eight months. And it really made a huge difference. And afterwards, you know, when there'd be tension or whatever, we'd use some of the techniques that we learned in those those sessions. And as a result, the four of us are very good communicators and leaders because we learned how to really use those skills effectively. And before we move on, I'm just thinking, because you mentioned there you, you went to counseling, you're like, oh, I might, my mm-hmm. disability might be contributing to some of these communication problems that we're having in our family. How do you hold that as a fact without then blaming yourself or saying like my disability Mm. is a burden that is too great for anybody to handle and sinking further into a cycle of despair well you know at the time i was like maybe 11 or 12 so i could feel the tension i could feel the tension especially from my mother because my mother and my personality were just like we were two peas in a pod and so i could really feel the tension from her when i'd send her over the moon you know and i didn't understand why really until it was really explained to me that there was all of this deep junk down in the well that had to get cleansed had to get brought out talked about and what a difference and so the other thing that was really awesome here was my mom was the real leader in the church for different women's issues and she put together an incredible prayer team of parents that had ADHD or had some disability or whatever and they got together I think they were together about between five and six years it might have been longer but that's what uh, people have told me and you know that prayer group made a huge difference in my life they were just really standing toe-to-toe with my mother and she with them and what a blessing that was because you know what it really got me through the high school years once i got into my you know my passion i was in the arts and i was in drama and music and and i took visual arts those were my passionate courses as well as english and then i think at the beginning to understand that i was passionate to write i didn't write very well back then because of some disability issues but all of those passions were there and subsequently i've made a career of it (laughs) (laughs) Right. Now, you mentioned your mother's advocacy, and I know I am one of many adults with a disability who owe probably, and she's going to hate it that I'm saying this, I'll probably owe (laughs) anything that I have done to the fact that I had a mother who was advocating on my behalf, whether or not I saw it or appreciated it or even liked it. And you mentioned that for your mother, part of her advocacy looked like bringing people together specifically to pray and in the Christian tradition. Mm-hmm. And I know that for several people mm-hmm. with disabilities, myself included, there's a tension there, right? I know. So like every episode I ask guests, like I will ask you about areas in your life where there's challenges connecting with your disability and also what good connection looks like. And if somebody were to ask me, Megan, where's the hardest place sometimes to have a disability to talk about your disability? I would say, to be honest... I'm a Christian and it's in church. But if you said, Megan, mm-hmm. where's the best okay. place for you? I would also say, well, you know what? The best place 
has been in church. Yeah. But anyone who knows me knows that I will say I think it is always inappropriate to just walk up and start praying for somebody's healing unannounced, yes. unasked for in the middle of the street. Yes. So for you, like, how do you how do you balance that tension of in one sense, faith is so crucial to how many of us understand and live with our disabilities. But there's mm-hmm. also a tension of it can be very hard to be a person of faith and be disabled. Mm-hmm. I hear you. I think for me, because I was a child that was raised in the church, there's a a level of DNA in my (laughs) whole being about ministry, about service, about being involved in the church and being open to receive what God has for me. I totally agree with you about anybody coming up to pray for you that is not in your circle of influence. It's someone that you trust. I've seen this time and time after again with other disabled people, and it does grieve me. And sometimes I have stood forward and say, hold on, are you in this person's circle? Do you know her? Do you know him? Do you know what they're going through? And then they step back for a few minutes and just saying, you know, it's not just emotion or or sympathy or whatever. It's, are you a part of that person's circle? And that's really important for me. I don't let anybody pray for me that is not a part of my circle or that I don't know. But the other the other thing, so you're asking about, you know, what were some of my challenges with the church? I think at the time was just, I was so frustrated that I wasn't on the pathway that I wanted to be, that I wasn't getting the education that I wanted to get, that I couldn't get into university the right time, or that I had to go around the door and create my own way to get what I wanted done. And at the time, in my teens to early 20s, I didn't know how to do that. But what the church provided for me then was love, support, prayer. And people around me that knew of my desire to finish my degree, you know, because I'd started my degree, stopped it, as a lot of, you know, disabled people just can only do what they can do. It took me 27 years to get my degree. And I didn't think it was going to take that long, but it did. And my degree's in theater and film. So just having those people that were in my circle. The other thing that is really important to me, and I this kind of just happened, you know, along the way, is having mentors in your life. I have mentors from the church. I have mentors from the arts. I have mentors that are in my ADHD group. And that, I think, has been what has really helped me to stay sane, is to be able to talk to others about the frustrations that I've been having or issues. I mean, oh my goodness, when I was going through my separation divorce, I was just so grateful for the people that were in my circle that I could talk to. Because, you know, I am a communicator and unfortunately, that's how I have to get it out. But I was so, so grateful. So having those different segments of community to be able to talk to Mm -hmm. is very, very important to me. And my sister was razzing me just recently because a lot of some of my mentors are in their 80s and some are passing away. And she said, Ian, she said, I think you need to have some younger mentors. Mm Yeah, right. I I know. I've actually learned a lot from younger people with similar eye conditions uh, Mm -hmm. to myself because they've had access to different technologies and experiences that I haven't. But I think you touched on something really important there and the fact of needing community from different sectors in your life because Mm -hmm. not everybody is going to be able to understand every part of your life. And just because one person doesn't understand why a disability can be difficult in a certain situation doesn't mean that your Mm -hmm. feelings are 
invalid or wrong. It just means that that person can't understand right. you might need somebody else. One of the things that's been big in your life, I can tell, is talking to other people about ADHD, exploring different ways yes. to live with it. I, I, I have friends who have adult ADHD and they have taught me so much about just how to understand your body. So what advice would you have for somebody, particularly somebody who is like an adolescent or an adult and they've recently been mm -hmm. diagnosed with ADHD? Is there any like, support or encouragement that you would want to give them? Absolutely. So first of all, when you have the assessment to, you know, either psychological or a doctor's assessment, really go over that assessment and talk to the doctor about the different areas where the tests have shown that you have the disorder. Okay, it's really important to just for your own personal understanding of the different elements of, of the disorder and by speaking to a professional. The next thing, come and join ADA. ADA stands for Attention Deficit Disorder. So it's ADD.org. We have some incredible people who are dealing with ADHD from all age groups. So you can come and join a support group, try it out with that wherever your age group is. At this particular time, occasionally I'm host for the seniors program, but oh my goodness, I've learned so much about what others are dealing with with ADHD who are 60 right up to 80. And that's, I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm 60 plus right now, but it's been interesting to see how the disorder changes. Now, for me, because I've chose to be non-medicated, it's all about balance. And right now, despite everything coming together with the play and the opening and, da -da -da and the nerves, I am really calm right now. And I don't understand why. But I think it's because I've been practicing a lot of this stuff is I've not let my emotions fly up like they used to. I also deep breathe a lot more now. And these are some of the techniques that we talk about in this support group. So please check out ADA. If you have children that are dealing with it, there's CHAD, C-H-A-D, and you can find information about them on the internet. You mentioned the play. We, we started this interview talking about music. I want to end with some music. So you've recently adapted your book into a play. It had its first run in July. First, why a play? And then what are your plans for the future? A very good friend of mine from the Mac McMaster University writing group said, Ian, your book is doing so well. Have you ever considered it as a play? And I said, yes. But I said I didn't know how I was going to do it. So there's three Ians, as if the world needs another uh, me. <laughs> there's young Ian, there's 20s to 30s Ian, and then there's older Ian. And then there's Grandma, so Grandma Violet, she's, she has a major part. And then there's my mom and dad, they just have a little bit part. And then there's Elaine. So each of the story, each person in the story, has a different play on how ADHD affected them through their generation, through the timing, through all of that. It's really interesting to look back at yourself and look at yourself with two doppelgangers, you know, gangers, yeah. that are portraying you. But the part that I love the most, and this is amazing, he's a very talented actor and camera guy and film, his name's Jacob Nussbaum. He plays me in my 20s to 30s when I was so frustrated. And he's got my 
emotion. He's got the sort of, you know, at times raising my fist to God, saying, why? Why do I have to be like this? And he talks about my frustration. And when I went back to university, and I just couldn't get it. I couldn't write the fastest. I couldn't write down what the professor was saying. You know, I was missing this, da-da-da. And he, he's taken my text and he's just brought it to life. I love that part in the play every night. It's just so much fun. And a little emotional, you know. At times I've gone, ooh. Because, you know, he's bringing back all of those things. So I'm excited in the sense that we're talking about bullying. We're talking about shaming. We're talking about good and family relate good and bad family relationships and sometimes how those relationships can scar you. And then, you know, we talk about the music and a little bit. And at the very end of the play, we have this wonderful young Ian who sings a boy soprano piece of His Eye is on the Sparrow, which uh. is a classic hymn. And I'm hopeful that the play will be out in several different venues next summer 2023 um so you might be able to find it in your in your local um theater for as a summer festival piece before we move on to the final sections of the show you've mentioned broadway you've mentioned music i'm just curious mm-hmm, do you have any mm-hmm. quick broadway recommendations or favorites that you'd want to leave for people i am a passionate stephen sondheim fan i just love his music i love singing his music i love hearing the interplay of his characters he was such a genius We were just so grateful in the music community to have him for almost 80 years. What's your favorite of his? Oh, uh, Sunday in the Park with George. Because it combines the music, it combines passion for visual arts, and it combines travels and going to Paris. And oh my goodness. And I just love all of his characters. I love also the transition from the 1800s to in the second half that it's his grandson or great-grandson that's now portraying his work. So there's mm. he's the artist, George Surat, that then is now transitioned to the great-grandson. of, of And he has some creative element that he's trying to call. And of course, my favorite song is um, about describing the art and how you sell the art. <laughs> Right, which you've then turned into a career with arts administration. Ian, as you know, we like to end each show by asking our guests yes. uh, two different questions. So the first one is, like, there's a lot of good, fun, bustling things happening in your life right now, which is great. But mm-hmm. I'm just curious, like, what are some ways that still, even now, you find living with a disability? That irritate me? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the things is the media's perception to disability or to ADHD. Why can't the media pick up on a good success story about ADHD and how it can be a transitional element for other disabilities and being an element of hope for other disabilities? I don't understand that. So that is really my pet peeve. It has been so frustrating. And, you know, and I'm sure this for other artists too that have ADHD or other mental health issues. Why do we have to almost reinvent the wheel to get our stories out there? What do you think, Megan? That's a good one. That's a passionate media critique. I really appreciate it as somebody who works in the media. The flip side, though, my question is always, given the frustrating parts of living with a disability, what has good connection looked like for you recently? 
As you can tell, I'm a people person. I like bringing people together. So connection is very much part of my DNA. And I'm very blessed with my family, my church circles, my ADHD network, and all my other relationships. You know, I'm a relationship builder. And and this is apparently very prevalent for other ADHD professionals. I have friends and colleagues that are in my circle for at least 40 years, from high school right up. And they are what I call in my inner circle. So with my ADHD issues, I make and hold on to my friends and colleagues very tightly. And I don't abuse those relationships. And I know that it's part and parcel of who I am and the communicator that I'm, I was meant to be. So I'm so happy at this stage of my life that there's a lot of less stress there's less anxiety. I used to really have an issue with anxiety. I'm so grateful I don't have that anymore. Well, Ian, thank you for your time today. And I hope that as your play goes on, that you don't experience what your cousins have experienced with people just throwing anything at you. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) you're funny. This is also really important. ADHD opens up lots of doors for creativity. So explore, paint, write, get it all out there. All right. Well, well, thank you. Really, really appreciate your time today. Great. So happy to be with you, Megan. Connecting Disability is a production of AMI-audio. It's written and produced by me, Megan Gilmore, with technical production by Nizreen Abdel-Majid. Andy Frank is the manager of AMI-audio. Special thanks to our guest today, Ian Walker. Today's show marks the end of our first season, so I just want to say thank you to everybody who listened or provided feedback. I really, really appreciate it. But what you may not know is years before this podcast, I was hesitant to ever write or speak publicly about my disability. And during my first job in Whitehorse, Yukon, there were several people who encouraged me to rethink that and to consider talking publicly about my experiences with the visual impairment with the hope that that would help others. One of the main people who encouraged me to do that was my pastor at the time, Greg Anderson. And as Ian and I discussed in this episode, sometimes it's really hard to have faith and be a disabled person, but Greg and his wife, Carol, were always a consistent reminder to me of truth and grace and generosity. So Pastor Greg, if you are listening to this, you were right, I was wrong, thank you. And again, to everyone who has joined us on this journey this year, we really, really appreciate it and I definitely do look forward to connecting with you next time. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.